Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. Normally, I sit here and I have my four podcasting, my three, sorry, podcasting buddies. Uh, But every now and then, I like to speak to somebody one-on-one about a topic that fascinates me. And uh, the topic of the separation, the proposed separation of Western Canada from the land where my children now live over there in Ontario is definitely something which I'm utterly fascinated by. Well, he wants to break up the country. Jay Hill, who served as a Conservative MP for 17 years, including as a House leader and a government whip for Prime Minister Stephen Harper, has become the interim leader of the separatist Wexit party. He replaces Peter Downing, who recently resigned. Why does the West want out? On October 21st, Canadians re-elected the Liberals to run the country, but this time as a minority government. Liberals landed 155 seats in Parliament, but only a few of those came from Western Canada, because the Conservatives won most of the West. The idea of Western separation started popping up all over social media, taking from the popular term Brexit. The hashtag Wexit grew. But how realistic is Wexit, and how would the process even begin? The momentum to actually have a referendum is probably in the distant future, medium, say, five-year future. There are so many other options. Uh, People from this podcast will know that um, as much as I am a student of politics, I'm definitely a student of history. And European history is redolent with examples of people deciding that they are different from people that live next door to them and cleaving themselves off or uniting and the United Kingdom is definitely uh, an example of that three, two kingdoms a couple of provinces deciding to come together but as much as history tells us that there are these forces to unite there are these forces to divide and uh, definitely in the last 20 years or so separatist movements uh, throughout Western Europe have really come to the fore. So uh, whether it's the Scottish National Party within the United Kingdom, uh, whether it is moves for Catalonian independence in Spain, and 
A country like Belgium has an existential question. What is the point of Belgium with two large provinces that, to all intents and purposes, are only united by one flag and a head of state, but nothing else? Um, so, with all of that, all that preamble done, I'm speaking to Jay Hill, who is the leader of the Wexit Party in Canada. Um, Mr. Hill, uh, thank you for coming on to the show. Um, you are in a bit of Canada, which I've never been to, which is Western Canada. Um, tell me about tell me about the wonders, the beauties of Calgary, of British Columbia, and of Alberta. Well, actually, I'll tell you even more. I'll tell you all about the four Western provinces. Uh, well, not all about. Obviously, you got to come and see for yourself. But um, it is the most beautiful part of the country, I believe, um, partly because of the Rocky Mountains that divides Alberta and British Columbia. Uh, that's where the continental divide is. Uh, they're just beautiful on a nice fall day like today uh, with the blue uh, western skies and to be able to sit here in Calgary and look at the Rocky Mountains, which aren't too far away, is truly one of the wonders of the world. And uh, so it's a beautiful part of the world, of the country. Uh, we've got the prairies with their flowing wheat fields from, from horizon to horizon uh, across uh, Manitoba and, and southern Saskatchewan. And we've got Alberta with our predominant oil and gas industry that fuels largely fuels the economy here, but we have a vibrant uh, ranching and, and uh, farming industry as well. And of course, we have the logging and fishing off the West Coast in British Columbia. So it is truly a unique part of the world and we're very proud of it. How much of the, the geography, the scenery, the vista of Western Canada do you think defines its distinctness as opposed to, let's say, economy or political leanings? Well, not as much as you'd think, uh, Royfield. The, the fact is, is that all parts of Canada, as indeed I think is true for most countries, especially countries as vast as ours, uh, they all have uh, beautiful uh, visual uh, parts to them, uh, whether it's the lakes and, and streams or whether it's the, you know, the ocean and the, and the tides and the crashing surf, uh, you know, whatever it is that's, that's uh, uh, distinct and unique. Uh, to different parts of our country and indeed different parts of other countries all play into that sense of being home, being part of something. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Western Canada is not unique in that particular way. Uh, our historical grievances with Central Canada really flow from the way our country is structured and what we believe is the ongoing abuse that we suffer from the more populous part of the country, which is Ontario, where your children live, and, uh, and Quebec. And then suddenly in 1947, an event that shattered forever the old colonial relationship between West and East in Canada. Leduc blew in, and the oil discoveries not only in Alberta, but in Saskatchewan and Manitoba signaled the opening of the West's Industrial Revolution. New names on the map, Kitimat, B.C., Thompson, Manitoba, and still more unsuspected wealth beneath the wheat. Half the world's reserves of potash uncovered 
in Saskatchewan. All week long, the world's energy crisis has been grabbing newspaper headlines. In a nutshell, we're running short of petroleum resources and the prices are zooming upwards. In 1970, the world price for oil was $1.80 a barrel. By next month, the world price will be $20 a barrel. And as headlines last week reminded us, Canadians are not immune. The extraordinary increase in the price of petroleum products has caused the most dramatic reordering of wealth in Canadian history. The new west has become rich, and the old east, central Canada, has discovered it's dependent on the vast petroleum resources of the west for its economic well-being. For the past two days, a national energy conference has been underway here in Ottawa. It was stressed at the outset by the Prime Minister and some of the ten premiers involved that the whole subject of the development and distribution of our energy resources and supplies was critical to the future of our Confederation. Could we learn to share what we have? My colleagues in the government and I have come reluctantly to believe that the price of oil in Canada must go up, up towards the world price. It need not go all the way up. We should watch what happens to world price and decide from year to year what we should do. But the price will have to be higher than it is now. How much higher? And at what date? We will have to discuss. I just have to say, Mr. Prime Minister, while Ontario has always played its role and will continue to do so, we, we don't want to be difficult. I just have to restate what I said this morning as clearly as I can. The province of Ontario cannot agree because of inflation, because of unemployment, because of other priorities for the economy, to an increase in the price of oil or natural gas at this moment. The stark reality is that unless there are increased incentives to find oil and natural gas, Canadians won't be debating price in the 1980s, because we'll be paying the price demanded by foreign nations. We're talking about the National Energy Programme, I take it. It was that uh, programme brought in by Pierre Trudeau in the early 1980s and the division of monies uh, from the province of Ontario to the federal government. Well, that's part of it, obviously. Um, It took quite a while uh, and a lot of damage was done, a lot of net transfer of uh, of uh, dollars uh, resulted from that. A lot of damage was done. A lot of people suffered and got uh, behind uh, in their hopes and dreams and aspirations for themselves and their families when they lost their employment or they lost their business because of that policy. But uh, we've more recently uh, with Mr. Trudeau's son, who is now our prime minister, uh, we have similar type of discriminatory legislation that punishes uh, Western Canada and especially the oil and gas industry which is such a large part of our economy here. So explain to our American listeners, because the majority of people who are listening to this podcast are American and British. So what was the situation before? Why did the Trudeau government uh, decide on the National Energy Programme? Take us back to the early 1980s. What What was central Canadian government thinking? Well, we believe, I mean, they will tell you a different story, they being liberals, 
and from central Canada, but we believe in the West that the, the predominant reason for that was the rapidly growing wealth of Alberta and by extension parts of Saskatchewan and British Columbia because of the oil and gas industry and the revenue that it was, it was creating uh, in the West. And central Canada was quite envious of that. And uh, so they, just as they have with something called the equalization program, which we argue is not an equalization program, it's basically a subsidy that the West pays primarily to Quebec, but also uh, all the so-called have-not provinces. So in addition to uh, equalization, which Pierre Trudeau took the time to enshrine in our constitution, to make it very difficult to change that that particular taxation program, the National Energy Program resulted in, as I said, a massive transfer of wealth from the West to uh, Central Canada. You have a long and kind of storied history on right of centre politics in in Canada. Um, you, you were part of the the old Conservative Party, uh, the Progressive Party, Canadian Alliance, Reform Party, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Were you always railing against um, Central Canada? Was this a case? Was that always a core platform for you? Well, yes, I actually uh, left what I would call the real world and have called the real world uh, for a life of politics uh, back in the mid '80s. Uh, but back to the time that you're referring to, and shortly thereafter, when it, it was a progressive conservative government under a man called Brian Mulroney, mm-hmm. that won government in Canada uh, with a massive uh, majority government from coast to coast. And um, it took him a few years to come around to repealing the National Energy Program, which obviously didn't sit too well with conservatives in Western Canada that had supported him for years. And there was a number of other things that I don't want to get into, historical things that created a problem uh, with our continued support for Mr. Mulroney uh, and his uh, party. And therefore, we formed a new party in the mid-80s. It was called the Reform Party of Canada. And I ultimately left uh, the family farm (laughs) and uh, became a politician. And for the next 17 years, through a uh, variety of um, uh, transitions from different parties, different uh, political entities. Uh, I moved uh, through the system, ultimately ending my uh, political career as a cabinet minister uh, with, uh, with Stephen Harper, our prime minister, back in the early 2000s. Um, so to answer your question, yes, the Reform Party had as a central part of its platform back in the 80s, uh, and as long as it lasted up until 2000, uh, which was, I don't know, uh, 14 years or something that it was in existence, uh, that the Reform Party had as a major part uh, parliamentary and uh, democratic reform, which attracted a lot of us. We wanted to change the system. We weren't <clears throat> running uh, and competing so much with traditional politicians and political parties as we wanted to change the system that governed the country, recognizing how difficult that was. And I'll just use one example, and that's we strongly favored and still do a triple E Senate, elected, equal, and effective upper house in our supposed bicameral political system in, in Canada, our, our, our uh, parliamentary system. So that was one of our major goals. It was never accomplished uh, because of the difficulty of it. 
And we're still now, as the Wexit Canada party, we still hold to that, that it doesn't matter who the country elects to govern us, whether it's conservatives uh, or liberals, There's, those are the two parties that actually form governments. Uh, there's smaller parties, as you're aware, but it doesn't matter which one of those, they're gonna be controlled by the population base in central Canada. And that's the reality. And so then we will continue to suffer the abuse and uh, discriminatory legislation we have of the past. Very quickly, before we come back onto specifically the separate the proposed separation <clears throat> of Western Canada from the rest of Canada, I know a little bit about Canadian politics. Why has there been so many changes and splinters right of centre, would you say, historically in Canadian politics? Well, I think if you look at those, uh, Roy, you'll, you'll find that the vast majority of them start in the West. And I would argue that the reason behind that is because of this sense of mistreatment, of abuse uh, by the populist centre of the, of the country, the old upper and lower Canada that imposes its will on the outer regions, the less populated regions. For your Americans um, that are viewing our, our podcast, Royfield, I'll just quickly explain the difference between, one of the major differences between how the United States developed and Canada. And that is under their, their system, their republic down there, I mean, they have a president, which we don't, that they, they personally uh, vote for, which we don't have that system. We have the, the British parliamentary system. But having said that, there are two chambers of their Congress, their lower House of Representatives and their upper Senate uh, are structured the way we would like ours to be structured. In other words, the lower house should be truly representative of the population, right? You try to have constituencies down there, they call them districts, where they're roughly the same population, so obviously the smaller, less populated states would have far fewer congressmen or congresswomen than the larger ones, the more populous ones. In the upper chamber, their Senate has two senators regardless of physical or size or population. They have a true triple E Senate that we always talk about here in Western Canada. They have, they're elected to their terms, so they're held accountable by the people at some point. Uh, they're effective, they can overrule uh, and, or block legislation that's coming through the House of Representatives, and they're equal. There's two from every Senate, all 50 Senates, or states rather. So we don't have that. In our country, we have appointed people that are largely party uh, stalwarts or partisan people that are appointed by the sitting prime minister when a vacancy comes due, uh, senators sit until the age of 75 unless they voluntarily resign or pass away. Uh, so it's a guaranteed job until age 75 once they're appointed. And they lack any legitimacy because they're not held accountable. And they're sure as hell not equal. There's 78 senators in our upper, upper house from central and eastern Canada and only 27 here in the west and the north. So you can rapidly see that we have a system where even though we're outvoted in the lower house, in the House of Commons, because of population, which I support, that's democracy. But in the upper house, which is supposed to safeguard the, uh, the less populous regions of the country, we also have a terrific imbalance. In fact, on a percentage basis, the imbalance in the Senate is greater than in the lower house. 
So we have nothing like we, they have in the United States or in Australia, where they have a Tripoli Senate to safeguard by ensuring that discriminat- clearly discriminatory legislation does not pass and become law. How Sorry. much? That as well. <laughs> no, no, I no, think you've maybe uh, got to the... From an American perspective, because they probably you know, wonder, like, what is this guy complaining about? But, uh, but I think you've, you've really got to the nub of, of many issues for me. And from what I understand is that structurally you don't have the representation that you deserve in terms of financial and then democratic. Mm-hmm. Completely and utterly understand and in effect, the province of Alberta, use that as an example, is infinitely weaker than the province of Ontario, even though it's defined as a polity, of as an entity. Mm-hmm. And as you rightly say, the American system safeguards Wyoming against California. Wyoming, yeah. I think there's one million people that live there. California, it's 35 million. But they still have an equal say on some level of legislation uh, that passes throughout the United States because Wyoming is seen as a state the same as California. Exactly. How much of the Wexit Party's true aim is true separation from Canada and how much of it is structural reform of the Canadian political system? Well, I've been asked that question, Royfield, um, many times. And, and it, I would argue, from my perspective at least, that it's it's equal. I mean, if we could achieve the structural change to the way the country is governed, uh, partially as I have already laid out uh, with the uh, um, uh, reform of the upper chamber of the Senate of Canada, um, you would quickly see that the fervor for independence in Western Canada, I believe, would die away. Uh, But at least thus far, because of the difficulties that have been put in place with amending our Constitution that make it virtually impossible, it it is impossible uh, for sure without the support of at least one of Ontario and Quebec under our amending formula. So the sense of, um, of loss and disassociation from Central Canada out here in the West is very, very strong. And uh, so our, um, our mission statement for our new party, this is a party that was just formed and, and applied for, we aren't even fully registered with Elections Canada uh, until we run a candidate in an election. Uh, but we applied for it on the 10th of January. So we're what, maybe uh, nine months, uh, eight, eight or nine months uh, old at this point. So we're in our infancy. Uh, But our mission statement is to achieve greater autonomy, uh, either by constitutional reformation or, failing that, uh, the creation of an independent nation. So it's either or. It's not one or the other. Uh, You talked about fervor before you said there's a fervor for independence in uh, Western Canada. Define fervor. What, 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 what does that look like in, in percentage terms? You, the Americans love their polls and whatever. If I was to, to poll, if I was to poll um, 100 Albertans or Saskatchewans uh, tomorrow and say independence for Western, on, uh, Western Canada, how many would say we need that tomorrow? Well, it would be different from Alberta uh, and from Alberta to Saskatchewan, I suspect. Our strongest support, there's no question, Royfield, is in Alberta. And it's because tens of thousands of people in the last while have lost their jobs. 
partially, not totally, but partially due to liberal party policy that has become government legislation and their absolute disdain and attack on our primary industry. So in Alberta, I would say it's probably in the range of 25 to 40%. I don't know exactly where it is. It depends how you poll and how you ask the question, like all polls. Uh, in Saskatchewan, it would be less than that. Uh, but, I, you know, I try to just put the facts before people and let them decide for themselves in the sense that uh, we don't want to see a lot of anger. We certainly would never want to see violence overtake any movement that drives Western Canada towards uh, independence. But having said that, there are people in the West that are getting very impatient. And so while it's a small percentage now, depending on what happens, uh, especially if there's a, an, an unnecessary election in the middle of the COVID pandemic, which it looks like increasingly like it might be here in the next few weeks, uh, if that were to happen, I think you would see a dramatic increase in those numbers. On a sunny Sunday in Calgary, Alberta separatists are on the move and on the hunt for signatures. Their pitch is simple. Alberta doesn't get a fair deal financially or politically in Confederation, and it's time to get out. We're essentially governed by Central Canada, and that will never, ever change unless we declare our sovereignty. What is the biggest beef that Albertans have with the federal government? Uh, taxes, immigration, uh, regulations, carbon tax, uh, I could probably go on. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we actually uh, went on air, I, I talked about um, my interest in, 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 in separation and specifically, and then within my intro, I mentioned uh, the Scottish National Party, Catalonia in Spain, uh, Belgium. Um, how much do you draw support soccer from other separation movements? Do you see, is, this, uh, is there a wider kind of philosophy that um, the state should become smaller throughout the world, or you just 
really just focused in on Western Canada, to stuff going on in other bits of the world. That's great. But there is no wider philosophy. To hell with Texas wanting to separate, for argument's sake, type of thing. Uh, no, I mean, I don't think it has a big bearing on our motives, if that's kind of what you're getting at there and, and why we're trying to do this. Uh, that, you know, people uh, in other places, whether it's Texas or Scotland or Spain or wherever, uh, also have historical grievances and their their own rationale for wanting to have a independent nation of some sort or at least greater autonomy from the central government. You know, we have some sympathy for all of those because although our reasons and our rationale might not be the same, uh, for example, Scotland is, goes back hundreds of years, uh, and it's, it's at least partially a very distinct cultural difference that, that I think motivates a lot of their, their anguish and their uh, disassociation from the central government. Um, so we have some sympathy for all those other uh, parts of the world that, that are experiencing something similar. But we have our own unique reasons for wanting greater autonomy. And uh, that's really what drives us, not what's ha- happening in, in some other country. When, when you see the Canadian flag, do you not feel that it is your flag? Ultimately, many people, whether they're in central Canada or whether they're in Britain or America or Australia, wherever, Africa, doesn't matter, wherever, will, will be slightly aghast that one of the most successful countries by any measure of the word success in terms of GDP, stability, what it's contributed to peacekeeping throughout the world. In terms of the soft power of Canada, it's it's immense. Uh, you know, I travel extensively and the Irish have got a beef with the British. The Norwegians have got a beef with the Swedes. Th- these beefs might only just be historical and somewhat jokey now. But Last year, I was in uh, Bosnia, and there is a real example of division. Are, are some of our soldiers were there, of course. Well, uh, you, you, uh, there's a, a very f- famous incident where Canadian troops showed their metal there, didn't they, by preventing yes. uh, Croatian troops. You know what? E- even that is an amazing example of the strength and the quiet strength of, of Canada that there's a major incident in that Bosnian war which the Canadian army acquitted itself magnificently as opposed to the Dutch UN troops at Srebrenica. The Canadian troops stood up and said no because they knew what was going to come next. Didn't lose one troop, inflicted casualties on the aggressors and then kept it quiet. Surely looking at what Canada has contributed to the world, you don't actually want to separate, do you? This is a greater autonomy party. When you see that maple leaf fluttering, that's your flag. Well, I think that uh, to answer your question, I would have to say greater autonomy uh, for sure, uh, separation if necessary. And the problem with uh, a lot of the complaints, historical grievances in the past from Western Canada towards our centralized, uh, central Canadian controlled uh, government uh, have been in, in a way that they now view us as just complainers, for some, partly for some of the reasons you've just outlined. 
Yes, mm-hmm. we're proud Canadians. Yes, we would prefer to stay in Canada if Canada can be fixed. Some of us have come to the realization, and I include myself in that number, that it cannot be fixed. It's too large, and there's an unwillingness on the part of central Canadians to share power with the West, and therefore there's no other option left. But until we get to that point, as I already explained, uh, you know, we would be quite happy if there was substantial, and I emphasize the word substantial, constitutional reform. Uh, that would would address the grievances of Western Canada, and then we wouldn't have to leave. But I believe, as others have in in the past, that until the threat of separation is very real, and this Central Canada and Eastern Canada has to take it seriously, there will be no move on their part to address our grievances. So, okay, so in practical political terms, what what does that look like? And let's let's say there is going to be a snap election. So let's put that election uh, to one side for now. I'm guessing that if you're only nine months old, you called yourself, you said your party's in its infancy. I would say no, you're a toddler if you're nine months old. So, so, (laughs) so, um, I I should aspire to that. I should aspire to that. (laughs) So let's, um, let's say uh, in five years hence, there is uh, another election. And the grievances that uh, the good citizens of Western Canada have not been met. There hasn't been the constitutional changes, the economic changes, etc. Um, what would you need to achieve politically, do you think, you know, in terms of raw numbers, raw MPs for central Canada, for Quebec and Ontario to sit up and notice, do you think? Because you're a man that spent a lot of time in Parliament, so you know how these things work. You're a chief whip. So yeah. what what are we talking about in terms of sheer numbers? Well, as I already indicated, out of uh, 388 members of Parliament across the land, there's 107 in the West and the North. So I would think that if we could elect somewhere near half of that, uh, certainly a third of that, um, we would be noticed, more than noticed. And I reflect back on my own personal history with the Reform Party of Canada. Uh, That party was less than a year old when we uh, found ourselves in a federal election campaign. All we could organize at that time was 72 candidates to run in the Western districts or constituencies. Uh, We didn't win any in that election, you know, but we continued to work hard, build hard, build credibility, And in the next election in 1993, we elected 52 members of parliament uh, for a brand new party. So I would hope that we're, that we, Wexit Canada is going to be on a similar track, uh, Royfield, to answer your question. Just as we start to wind this down, uh, Jay, these separatist movements throughout the world, which, and you quite honestly said, you know, there isn't a wider belief in, subsidiarity and weakening of the of the state that you believe globally you just focused in on western canada but all of these separatist movements have these charismatic leaders they're great on social media great for a soundbite are you that charismatic leader that the wexit party needs right now uh not at all not at all i'm just trying to build credibility uh, for the party uh, I have stated unequivocally, uh, Royfield, that I'm 67 years of age. That's not ancient, uh, but I was happily retired until I decided to do this. My motivation is my three grandchildren because I see that 
their hopes, dreams, and aspirations are being crushed by wrongheaded decision-making in Ottawa, in our nation's capital. And those decisions are going to impact my grandchildren and their children for generations to come. And that's why I'm doing this. Uh, I don't consider myself charismatic at all. I'm just trying to be a credible voice uh, for those Westerners that say enough is enough. And it's Independence Day. Who's going to be the head of state of Western Canada? Are you going to retain the Queen? Us Brits, we want to know. We don't need to leave the Commonwealth. We, we like it that, the, uh, that our Queen is also your Queen. So um, tell us about those constitutional arrangements. Well, my personal preference would be to retain the monarchy. I have a very uh, fond spot in my heart, and I know many Canadians do, for the Queen and indeed for other members of the of the uh, royal family. That would be my preference. To, uh, Royfield, it would be really up to the members initially to chart a course for our political party. I mean, we don't even know what the name of the new country would be if it came to that, uh, or the structure of its government. I can guarantee you one thing, that it will have a proper bicameral system so that uh, parts of rural Western Canada won't face what we have faced, you know, by Vancouver and Calgary and Edmonton, uh, the major uh, urban centres dictating to the rural centres without uh, any protection. So whether it would be a republic with a president or whether it would retain the monarchy is a decision to be made in the future. And uh, it would be the people of Western Canada that make that decision. Let's say it's 2025 and election night and CBC say that uh, the Wexit party have 52 MPs. Okay. Would you be the man to lead the party, not just in Parliament, but in that inevitable set of negotiations which would be disruptive for Canada, potentially looking at the splitting of the party and, and the splitting of the country, very sorry. And if so, do you think then you could then walk away and say that your political aspirations and dreams have been fulfilled, seeing one of the UN's most stalwart members decapitated? <laughs> um I'm going to answer that question by basically repeating what I said. I'm, I'm the interim leader. Uh, I haven't been elected by anyone. I haven't run for this office, and I don't intend to run for uh, election or, in my case, re-election to the Parliament of Canada. That's not my intention. My intention is to try to build some credibility for the party and then turn it over to hopefully a much younger man or woman uh, that uh, feels as strongly as I do uh, and can carry the message in a credible way uh, to Westerners and, indeed, to all Canadians uh, as I said, I'm 67. In, in 2025, to use your example, I would be almost as old as Joe Biden. So I have no intention of, of running for political office at that age. So, uh, Jay Hill, if Western Canada has greater autonomy or, dare we say, independence, you won't be there at the helm, but you'll be the godfather or the midwife. <laughs> well, I prefer the godfather if that's my choice. <laughs> Jay Hill, thank you for coming on to Mid Atlantic and proving to us that you might be a godfather, but you're no gangster. Uh, that, <laughs> thank you for Thanks coming for on to the show. Thank you for having me on, Roy Field. Uh, I Take enjoyed care. our conversation. 
Likewise, sir. Likewise. Okay. And dare I say it before we go, uh, for somebody who's got big love for Canada and a lot of respect for you, I, I, I hope it, this does not end in separation. But that equalization in terms of representation is definitely something which I think is very hard for anyone, anybody to argue against. Again, thank you for coming on to the show, sir. <laughs> My pleasure. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.